Welcome back to the Enjoy the Walk podcast, ladies and gentlemen. If you're a fan of the golf swing, uh, figuring out your own golf game, or, or just trying to figure out how to shoot lower scores, um, you're going to be in for quite the treat this episode. We have Cristo Garcia on the show. Uh, Cristo is, I would say, more than infatuated with the swing of Mr. Ben Hogan. Um, he's studied it now for years on end. Um, and if you've watched the Golf Channel any time in the last year or so, um, you might recognize him as he was cast in the Golf Channel special Hogan um, because his swing is just basically a replica of Mr. Ben Hogan himself. So, Christo, pumped to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Uh, really excited to dive into everything that is surrounding your expertise. Well, it's an honor to be here. Like I said, I love you guys' podcast. Uh, it's really, I love the guests you get on. So it's my honor to be here because uh, most people who follow my swing evolution know the extent to which I've struggled with the game. And um, it, was, it was Ben Hogan's book that I give credit to saving my sanity, in a sense, um, you know, saving my game because um, I hadn't broken 80 in over, 20 years. And I did it a couple times in high school. I played on the high school golf team, but those were those days when everything's going right. You know, most of the time I was a, you know, high eighties, nineties golfer and sometimes hundreds. And uh, I just wanted to break 80. And I'll tell you, I had, uh, I had bought seven drivers in three years, hoping to straighten out my slice that I had, and uh, next to the cash register was Ben Hogan's five lessons. And it was just $12. I'm like, okay, throw this into, I might as well. I like the pictures. But when I, I got home, this is a little over a decade ago, I was reading it. And he said, anyone who follows these basic fundamentals should be able to shoot in the seventies. And to me, I was like, if I could just do it once, I would be really, really excited. And, um, and I'll be darned three it was three months later, I shot a 79. And, uh, and, and it was like the parting of the Red Sea. It was like something very, very special had happened. And, and, you know, of course, there's the idea, okay, is it a fluke? Is it whatever? And I did it 14 times that first year in 2010. And for me to do that, it was like, it was just unbelievable. I was like, I wanted to, to spread the word. And you know, I started a YouTube channel the next January in 2011, and now we've got, you know, over 24 million views, you know, and uh, it's, it's literally a dream come true. Let's talk about that YouTube side of things first, because I think, you know, with, with that many views and over 50,000 subscribers, I think by far is probably your largest section of following. Um, what gave you the idea to kind of start documenting this, this really story of picking up the, the Ben Hogan way and, and seeing it through to, to teach others about it as well. So I'll tell you, this is a, a pretty crazy story that a lot of people don't know. The first year, 2010, that I was using Ben Hogan's book, I had no plan at all to try and look like Ben Hogan. None. And uh, I was just trying to use the, the, the tips and things in the book to try and hit the ball a little better. The, I had one round to go that first year. My lowest round that year was 74. And I was like, I want to, you know, try and do just go one more round. And it was after Christmas. 
And um, I fell asleep on the couch. I slept on my left side like this, passed out. I woke up the next morning and I, I couldn't lift this arm at all. And I'm like, I'm, this is my last round of golf. I've got to go to the golf course. And I got to the golf course. I could barely hang on with my left hand. And I was basically swinging all with my right hand. And I felt kind of Trevino-like for some reason or whatever. And I brought my little flip video camera. And I got home that evening. And for the first time ever, I saw something that somewhat resembled Ben Hogan because I had not previously been getting my right side through the shot enough and all of a sudden it dawned on me being my swing evolution and I'm going to try and actually look like Ben Hogan and I'm going to explore what there is about Ben Hogan there's everybody knows about the secret and I'm like what's the secret I want to figure out what the secret is and it was literally because I woke up with what's referred to as Saturday night palsy a uh, doctor told me that <laughs> That's what they call it, you know, when you cut off the circulation to your arm or whatever. And that's what inspired me to start trying to swing like Ben Hogan. That's wow. uh, it's amazing to me that like, you know, <laughs> almost a divine intervention of sorts uh, caused you to really take the dive into which is, you know, obviously now become, I would imagine, almost a part of your life is, you know, the the Hogan way and and really embodying what is not only his swing thoughts, but embodying him as almost a personality. You know, I had the pleasure of uh, working with Sean Cox at the, the Fairmont, uh, the Grand Del Mar in San Diego. It's a five-star resort down there. It's one of the most beautiful golf courses you'll ever see. And Sean's the head pro down there. And he said to me earlier this year, he goes, he goes, have you read the book, The Alter Ego Effect? And I'm like, no, I don't know what it is. And he goes, you actually did the alter ego effect that he talks about in the book. And he tells me, he's like, Bo Jackson uh, never played a down of football until he created an alter ego. And, and he said that he wanted to play football like Jason the, from the slasher movies like with the mask on, just emotionless and just execute. And then and he brought up uh, Beyonce Knowles has an alter ego she calls Sasha Fierce. Because when you go out on stage, I've worked in you know Hollywood and in theater for a long time. It's, you get stage fright. It's pressure, you know. But the idea of having an alter ego can allow you to release your own self from the feelings of failure, pressure, not being good enough. And what Sean helped me to realize, I, I, it didn't dawn on me before, but I was like, yeah, I, I put on this hat and it let me leave behind the 90 hundred shooter and create an alter ego and get a fresh start at a game that I've loved and, and suffered with. I quit golfing for many years because it was too painful. I didn't pick up a club for four years. I swore I'd never play again, you know, and now look, look at where I'm at now, you know? So the one other funny thing is I was um, a karate champion when I was younger, I won the Florida open karate championship and in my teens, Bruce Lee was my alter ego. I wanted to be just like Bruce Lee. And then when I was in a karate movie and I decided to change my major to theater. Um, and so when you study theater, 
you take electives in singing and singing and dancing as well. So I was in a ballet class, which is the hard ballet is so hard. I can't even begin to tell you. It's the most complicated movement system you're ever going to try and tackle. And I was given a videotape of Baryshnikov by my, my teacher, who is a pretty famous uh, ballet teacher named Gretchen Warren. And she had coached at the American Ballet Theater. And she goes, this is Baryshnikov, watch him. And that's, that's all I did for years is I was like, I just wanted to move like Baryshnikov. And in less than three years, I was in a ballet company, you know, so I had done it a couple of times before in a sense. I, 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 I love that methodology. I love that mentality because especially when you take all those, you know, the karate and the ballet and bring it all that into golf and, you know, it, it's just golf becomes such a mental game and I go through it as, as myself and I'm, it's mind blowing already. You just ex- telling me this where I want to go out and get that, that book now and, and read that because I think I can apply that, which I had never have to my game and see where it can lead me down the road to where I can elevate my game. Because just like yourself, Krista, I, I got into the game after college, after playing lacrosse, I was a lacrosse player ever since I moved to New Jersey, played through middle school, high school, and then, ended up being able to play it in college as well. It wasn't until then where I decided after, after basically almost busting my knee, I decided I'm going to get into golf. And it was like, when I got into golf, I went to YouTube and that's how I came across your channel. And, and how you literally like, and that's, and I just watched video after video after video. And that I got the book as well. And it's just crazy how, that mentality of just becoming someone else just to escape your own self in order to just to play better and how it can, you know, you want to be the best. So might as well try and play like the best. Well, the, I really believe, and I've lived it. I've lived it. I have been my own worst enemy on the golf course. Oh, you're preaching to the choir here on that <laughs> one. Every, every golfer knows that, you know, it's like, why did I do that? And so I made a video this morning and I was talking about playing with my friend, Mo, who's the four-time champion at my club, four-time club champion. We go out, we play around, we make a YouTube video. Um, you know, I shot, I shot 36 or whatever. And he's like, you just got to get out of your own way. And this was three years ago. And I'm like, okay, what what does that mean? Get out of my own way. Well, I made a video about it this morning because I got back in my way. This year I've been struggling and I I took some lessons and I kind of got confused about what I was trying to do. I was pull hooking everything. My game went to just right in the garbage. Um, but these last four rounds have been pretty good because I, I remembered what Mo said. And it's like, you don't have to make it so hard. Like I, I sometimes play the game where it's like, I think I have to, like I'm playing against Rory McElroy or something, you know, it doesn't matter. You can hit seven iron wedge into this par five and have a birdie putt. You don't have to take on, pull a Kevin Costner in 10 cup and try and hit three wood <laughs> over the water. You know, it's like, it, it's kind of stuff like that, that it's like, if you can hit a solid shot and the shape repeats, you have a basic shape. If you can get off the tee and just base do basic chipping and putting, you should be able to break 80. 
Well, so like, let's dive into that a little more because I, I think we talked about a couple really cool th- aspects there that I think the common golfer is just going to love to want to know more on. You talked about getting in your own way, which we both laughed at and said, you're, you're preaching to the choir. Um, hmm. I've played in club championships where I've had the lead in day one. I've played a great front nine. And then all of a sudden, you know, you come down the back nine to try and close something out and you forget how to swing a golf club, or at least it feels that way. It is like you, like I've never held a golf club before in my life. Right. So so let's talk about that aspect of, of maybe, you know, the way Hogan looked at her, the way you interpret the way Hogan looked at her, or what you've learned in order to get out of your own way. Because I think in, philosophy it you know in theory it should should be easy just get out of your own way but it we all know it's much tougher than that um how have you been able to kind of embody the hogan mindset and and be able to get out of your own way is it that ego is it that alter ego is there something maybe more attached to hogan that's that's attached to being able to get out of your own way well the I believe during my swing evolution, I went from being a guy that plays golf to being a golfer. And during the last 10 years, I've had times when I slip back into a guy that plays golf and it's like, I forget everything, (laughs) but something that Ben Hogan said in the book is so important. And he said, there was something that happened in my mind when I realized I'm not all of a sudden going to lose it, you know, and it's what you were talking about. And I felt it myself. I felt it on, on the 18th hole today, you know, this, this kind of like fear. Am I possibly, is this going to fall apart on me or, you know, whatever. And it's like, if, if you can, okay, here's, here's something from the alter ego book says there's two mindsets. There's the wow mindset like, wow, I get to hit this shot. And I'm, man, I'm ready to hit this shot. And there's the owl mindset. Like, I'm afraid of what's going to happen when I swing at this ball. I'm, I'm afraid that the OB's there, there's water short, there's a trap over the green. There's the owl mindset. And it's that simple that when you're in your own way, you're in the owl mindset. You're afraid of what the potentiality is and you're no longer in the present moment. When you're in the wow mindset, you're ready to experience something right now that's fantastic. And so, you know, today, the, for me, the conditions, you know, I'm not used to playing in 50 degrees, you know, with a chilly wind and what have you. I birdied 16 and 17. I'm on 18 in the middle of the fairway, about 260 out, got a three wood. And, and, and I started to get afraid. And I was like, just you could hit seven iron and then just have a little pitch, you know, whatever, like wedge it up there or whatever. And I was like, you know, yeah, I could do that, but there's really not an awful lot of trouble up there. And I had to talk myself into the wow mindset. I'm like, it's fine. Just hit a three wood. Don't do anything stupid. Your swing's not going to sudden. You're not going to forget. Just make sure you compress down, you know, keep the force on the back of the shaft and hit down on this three wood, take a little divot, you know, just bam. And I I put it up just short of the green, pitched it up and made the putt, you know, and, you know, that was for me at 73 is a pretty good round, especially under these conditions. And it was like, today was such an important test of like getting out of my own way. I had two, three putts today that kind of kicked me in the rear, you know, but 
I didn't, I didn't have any compounded mistakes. That's the problem I think that we get to. And one of my, one of my best lessons, my older brother gave me, who's a darn fine golfer. I, he always has made it look so simple. He's a golfer, like, like will shoot 67 in his club championship, like on a hard golf course. He's, he just is like, Chris, you know, you just don't hit two bad shots in a row. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, if you hit it in the trees, don't look for the gap and try and pull a Seve. He goes, I'll never hit two bad shots in a row and you're not likely to make doubles and triples because I used to be Mr. Triple. <laughs> and it's like, you know, if I'm out of position, now I'll play back into position and try and get up and down with a wedge or whatever. And it's like, you know, my gosh, the compounded mistakes that golf teases you with just destroys people's scorecards, you know? Yeah, the, the allure of being the hero uh, just ruins rounds oh, more often than not. I've been down that road before. And, and you're right there, Christo, and it's so much. I am, like, enjoying this greatly because it's supposed to be actually near 60 degrees this Saturday down our neck of the woods. <laughs> I might actually get out there and, and take all this in and just take that mentality and just – the wow factor and all that because I've I've played rounds where all right you hit a bad shot and you 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 don't worry about it you put it off to the side you make bogey like you can do with bogeys bogeys happen it's like all right no big deal you can make up for that pretty easy yeah, yeah. you make a majority of pars you have a few little bo bogeys and maybe throw a birdie there and two or there and two you're still shooting in you know mid high seventies you're good to go yeah once you hit once you freak out about that bogey and then that next shot makes it the next hole makes it a double bogey and then the other's a bogey, I mean you're kind of you're digging yourself a hole and you need to climb out. It's just oh man, I'm pumped. I like want to play now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. I mean, it's like, you know, everybody three putts sometimes. Everybody hits a bad shot. You know, but the funny thing is is um I I've I've just been so much more relaxed and, and like, I, I feel like this year of my swing evolution, I may finally be growing up. If that <laughs> makes any sense, you know, I'm, I'm no spring chicken, you know, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the, the playing, like, I, I don't know what it is that just what I call it. Let me put it to you this way. I was getting into long, like I do long drive training every so often to get my swing speed back up because if I if I get too relaxed I'll lose all my distance I don't know what's up with that but sometimes I start to get a little bit wild off the tee and that's that's the killer for me and I I'll stand over a drive and I'll be thinking oh I'm gonna crank this three whatever and I call it a suicide swing where I'll pull the trigger and I'm not committed to anything I'm just committed to swinging as hard as I can. And usually disaster follows. And um, it, I, I've done that. Just It's just the craziest thing, you know. Um, and now I'm, I'm much more concerned about trying to hit it in the fairway. Even if it's not a bomb, if it's whatever, I'm just not likely to get to have a bad number if I'm in the fairway. You know, it's like I hit I hit a couple drives today that I wasn't happy with and I had five irons into the green and I birdied both those holes, you know, 
It's like, it's not the end of the world, but it would be the end of the world if I pulled it into the water, you know? So that's the, again, it's one of those things like get out of your own way and just, you know, I, I played uh, last Friday and, and hit a bunch of three woods on a course I'd never seen before, simply because of the fact I was like, well, I can see the 150 stake, just hit it to there and you're good. You know, how much trouble can you get in? Yeah, I think especially as someone who over the past couple of years has really focused on distance because I thought that was my missing link, right? Like everyone talked about distance. Everyone said, you got to hit it this far. And if you don't hit it this far, you can't compete, yada, yada, down the line. And you start to realize when you do start hitting it, you know, further than maybe 290 on average, um, you realize that you really don't need that distance a lot. And more often than not, it can actually get you in more trouble than what it's worth. I think you said a massive thing there that I've also realized in my own game is if I can see the 150, chances are I don't need to hit it much past that to really be in play anyway. And when you talk about kind of things that really get, I guess, you know, the big difference between breaking 80 and not breaking 80 is making those suicide swings. And for me, for the longest time, the suicide swing was the driver off the tee when I really didn't never needed it. Isn't that funny? Um, you know, I do believe that, uh, like I, I love the PGA. We love these guys. They're, they're superheroes, you know, and they're being tested against each other and they, they're, you know, they're being asked to hit sometimes, you know, am I going to hit a 290 shot or am I going to try and hit it 340 and clear those bunkers? Mm -hmm. That's what separates the, the very finest players in the world from each other. But for me, I'm not playing to make, make a living in, you know, competition. You know, I want to play great golf. I hope that I can compete someday at a pretty high level. Um, but, uh, but that's, that's not necessary for me. So I, I made a TV show with Bobby Knight, the basketball coach. Mm -hmm. And, and he said to me, you know, as like, Hey coach, you're known for being, you know, really tough on your players. And he's like, look, I get these kids that come to me out of high school and they are superstar big men on campus. And, you know, all the girls are chasing them. They're so cool. And then they, they come to me to my college and they're playing basketball. And he goes, there's not a kid on that basketball court that's going to play in the NBA. And I mean, they're amazing basketball players, right? Mm -hmm. But he's but he's right. And he goes, I've got four years to turn these kids into men. And so every good coach that I've ever had is intolerant of lack of focus, sloppy play, and a lack of commitment. You know, so so that's the thing, is like that's that's what we have to do is just learn to stay focused, learn to be committed, learn to not play sloppy, you know. And if you take it into competition, then you can refine that even further. And the level to which these guys refine it is unbelievable. Now, I was watching Kevin Na yesterday. I don't know if you caught any of that. I did. That was so, so Kevin Na hits it kind of like around, you know, I, around like I hit it, you know, mm -hmm. something like. Now, I think his average is probably higher because he hits it pure more often. But, but he's not a bomber like 284 something like that off the tee he made eight birdies in a row uh, yeah incredible. i mean you don't have to hit it that far but if you can putt and hit a good solid short iron you can make tons of birdies you know and so. i think we see that a lot too you know obviously they play some of these courses down the stretch and especially at major championships that get a little gargantuan when you start talking about layouts but that for them i would say 
average, a lot of these regular week to week tour stops offer the mid to even shorter distance hitters an opportunity to go compete. Um, it's amazing to me when you look at guys like Kevin Na and um, I mean, even down the line at Kevin Kisner that wins, you know, more often than not, or at least finds himself comp- competing throughout the year. Um, guys like that, that average that like 280 um, and, and find ways to win are, are pretty incredible when, when the, the media and the, the hype is all the, the bombers and the gouging of, of all these golf courses. So um, see, seeing guys like Kevin Na find the winner's circle, <laughs> uh, even if it was more of a modified event, is, is always fun to see, especially when they're making that many birdies. Uh, I'm a big fan of Kisner. You know, I think he's super cool. He's got a great personality. He's funny as hell. And, you know, but he, he brings it, you know, like he's not afraid of anybody. Well, that's what those guys have to have when they're, I would say behind the eight ball, when it comes to distance is a little bit of fire underneath the hood. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it's certainly, I think um, it's one of the things that tiger, I I'm actually a little, I I'm so such a big tiger woods fan. I had quit golfing. And it was Tiger Woods when he came back and won the Masters by 12 when I decided to pick the game back up. He inspired me to pick the game back up again. And, uh, you know, he's made comments about like, you know, look, I don't have the firepower that I once did. You know, JT's hitting it so much farther than me and everything else. But I hope he can find that Ben Hogan thing that Hogan did after his accident because he was very clear. He said, I never hit the ball anything close after the accident like I did before. You know, Hogan, you know, he he was just plastering the ball before the accident, yet he won six majors after the accident on a limited schedule. So I've talked to people that knew Ben Hogan about this, and I've wondered about it. And, um, you know, I I think that Ben Hogan probably had – um, say, say you're hitting a seven iron and you can hit it anywhere from say 165 to 175, maybe after his accident, it would, he would hit it between 158 and 164. Like maybe it was a little shorter, but it was a tighter miss, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason, he was unbeatable in those tournaments after the accident. He was his, his top, I mean, his finishes were so high, but this is another thing that I think is, is um, interesting about that is Tiger and these guys, you know, talk about getting out of your own way. You know, Tiger's famous for the nine shot drill, you know, low draw, middle draw, high draw, low, middle, high straight, low, middle cut. And that's, that's great. He's, he's the greatest golfer ever, but Hogan said there's only four shots, low draw, high draw, low cut, high cut. If you can just move the ball in those four windows, you can hit any green, any, you can do whatever you need to do. You don't, you don't have to hit nine shots. And, and Hogan said, when I hit a straight ball, it's an accident. Well, and I think as you look back at the, at the time and the equipment too, those guys hated the straight ball because it was almost impossible to hit that equipment dead straight. It was much easier to work a ball back then, which, which is just a, a great conversation for maybe another podcast with you to talk <laughs> about the, the incredible differences of equipment and how great Hogan was. Um, you brought a conversation to the table that I don't even think we expected to touch on was the comparisons now between 
a Tiger Woods and a Ben Hogan of, of just the post-accident era, I guess you could call it now. Um, when you talk about Hogan winning six majors after the accident and, and how really unbeatable he was, it brings a conversation to the table that is, what, what can we maybe expect, you being a big Tiger fan yourself, what can we expect from Tiger you know, post-accident? And, and how soon do we think we maybe can even see him, maybe not even a major, but just putting a win on the board? Okay, so let, let me tell you how, because hmm. I care about this so much. Can Tiger hit it as far as Kevin Knopf? Now? Yes, probably. Yeah, I'd absolutely. have to say yes, absolutely. I, I would too. Who's the best iron player you've ever seen in your life? Before Colin Morikawa, probably Tiger <laughs> yeah. Woods. I'd, I'd say Tiger Woods. <laughs> yeah. He's... And they asked Colin Morikawa, he said, I would trade any part of my game with Tiger Woods. So the accident shouldn't affect his short game. Who's the greatest short game player you've ever seen? The greatest putter and short game player I've ever seen is Tiger Woods when he's on. Yeah. He's going to no, win. No argument. He's going to win <laughs> again. I'm telling you. Yeah. Now, the thing that I hope for is um, – and I've now – Far be it from me to say, you know, this, but, you know, I just, I just hope that he's, he's, you know, I know he's doing everything that he, you know, I, I'm a big believer in the yoga over the power lifting. His arms are looking pretty, pretty jacked, you know, which yeah, is, we I, that I, too. He, yeah. he knows what he's doing, but, um, and I know that he's, he's, he's well-versed in flexibility and, and all that stuff. I just, yoga's changed my life in my forties because um, I ruptured my Achilles when I was 47 and I've practiced yoga off and on, you know, just as kind of like, a, oh, I'll go take a yoga class, but I've been a regular person in yoga class since I ruptured my Achilles and talk about changing this. I mean, it's, it's incredible because what happens in yoga is you get into a stressful position and you're, you're holding the pose and it triggers your fight or flight response. It triggers your like, you know, oh my God, I, how am I going to be able to deal with this? Like you start stressing out and you learn how to regulate your heartbeat, breathing, everything else. And uh, it's, it's changed me. And, and I'm so glad that I, I've, you know, made it a part of my life. And, uh, you know, if I had to choose between powerlifting and yoga for golf, I'd 100% go yoga. And when I asked Gary Player about it, whose son is a yoga teacher, he said, oh, if I had to do it all over again, I'd have a full-time yoga man with me on tour every day. And, um, you know, the point of it is, is like Tiger's got enough speed. He's got, he's got the entire game. But the thing is, when he talks about not being able to keep up with JT or, or whoever these bombers are, A, he doesn't need to. And B, isn't that his ego kind of talking? Because he's used to kicking everybody's ass with distance. That's the one concern. Hogan had to let that yeah. go. Yeah, that's the one concern is he has held that ego, I think, so close to his chest for so long of being the most powerful, being the most dominant from a physique aspect. Like, I mean, it, it's just it's been him against the world, it seems like, from a a basically beat you into the ground standpoint that he, he's got, I, I think it's going to be tough, but he's going to have to let that go for 
a maybe eight to 10 year period. I think he can play 10 more years if he's smart about it. Um, if yeah, he goes back into the powering over everybody mode, it might not be a, a long, to, a long. Do you remember when, when he came back from the umpteenth back surgery and it's like Tiger Woods just posted 129 mile an hour swing speed. That's the fastest year. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, that that's great, but it's not necessary. Mm-mm. That that's no, the only, that's the only thing that I'm saying is, is like, you know, he, he's got so many more weapons than power and Hogan lost his power. Hogan was, wasn't a big guy, but he was way shorter after the accident, but he was more precise and, and he was killing people. It kind of goes back to the conversation earlier. We were discussing about how your rounds were going instead of taking the three wood out, going seven iron wedge in the par fives. Tiger does that on tour. Like he has some of those guys would be make eagles, but if he can make himself have guaranteed birdies on all the par fives, that's four under right there. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's a risk reward element to it, and I'll tell you a great story from Freddie Couples. He was uh, playing with Raymond Floyd, who's one of the, the great legends of the game. And Freddie's boom, boom. He's long. And, and Ray Floyd asked him, he's like, so you're, you're, you're going for this green and two again? He's like, yeah, why not? You know, I don't think there's, there's too much trouble I can get into or whatever. He's like, so what, what do you hope to get out of this? And he said, I hope to get an eagle. <laughs> and he asked Freddie Couples, he said, how many eagles you make on, on tour this year? And he's like, I, I don't know, maybe three, four, and something like that. And he's like, out of all your rounds, you've been playing this way. You've only pulled it off a few times. And he's, you know, the, the point being is like, you know, why take a bazooka when a 22 will do the job? You know? <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's kind of, the, that's just, you know, that's just kind of the thing. I mean, it's like, I'll, I'll tell you one of the things I thought was so fantastic was when Tiger won the Masters in 2019. First of all, how insane is that? I mean, I, my brain was melting. When you had people, whether it was there or even, you know, watching it on TV, grown men in their 40s saying, man, that just brought me to tears. You know, the moment was special. It was, it was so crazy, but I, to me, it, it all came down to number 12, mm-hmm. you know, it was, uh, my gosh, I didn't think, I, I didn't think Molinari was going to fade at all. He looked so strong on the front nine. He was just fantastic, but Tiger was just sitting there chomping his gum, watching person after person go at the pin and hit it in the water. So some like five out of the last seven guys dunked it. Yeah, even the like, group in front of him, I think it was two out of yeah. three that put it yeah, in the water. Yeah, it was like everybody was putting it in the water. And where did Tiger go? 30 feet left over the bunker where Jack always hit it, right? Yep, yep. And, and he, he just held that, – that's, that's the kind of golf that I'm saying. That wasn't a 350-yard drive. It was a 155-yard shot that won him the Masters. And, and it was a 155-yard shot that lost all those other guys to Masters. Yep. Yeah, and just the – when you think, too, I mean, Dante and I have brought this up time and time again. Even if he were in the next decade only play the Masters, I think he has a shot at doing something special, let alone 
if he can get healthy enough and maybe squeak in a, a PGA, I don't know if he has the length to compete at some of these ridiculous U.S. Open courses, but you never know. The weather could turn. Something it, Golf's one of those sports you just never know. Um, so it'll be fun to see how he does accept this new role of, you know, the next iteration of tiger. There's been so many over the career of the comebacks, the setbacks, and then the, the almost the rebuild. Um, it, it's going to be fun to watch. And I'm excited. We, we got some tiger talk into this episode. <laughs> when, when you, when you watch the Hogan special, the next time hour two begins with tiger at the masters in 2018. And they ask him, would this be the greatest comeback ever? And he goes, no. And they said, what do you think is the greatest comeback? He goes, Hogan got hit by a bus and came back to win major <laughs> yeah. championships. Right. He's like, it just, the greatest comeback happens to be in our sport. And I thought that was so amazing because I'm like, he's very, very aware of, of what Hogan did after the accident. I think that's what, whether it's media or just sports personalities in general, miss about the incredible career that Tiger has had is they miss the studier of the sport that he is they miss the just overall fan i think that he is of the sport and the knowledge he has of who did what and when and he knows exactly what jack's records are he knows exactly where hogan was and what happened to all the greats throughout the time of the sport and um i i think he is just chomping at the bit to really set his place above the rest and it's going to be exciting to watch the next few years Man, I, I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna figure out that he's just gonna get that little squeeze cut fairway finder and start destroying people again. That's music to I my as, as as a Tiger fan, that's music to my ears, and it, oh, that just brings chills. That's exciting, <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, I'm man. looking forward to that, man. This week we get to see him. I know yes. father son championship. That's going to be something to uh, something to behold. See him, seeing the Tiger Cubs, seeing Charlie have fun with it too. Hopefully, carrying his dad again off the tee. It's it's going to be fun. That that championship alone um, is always fun to watch the the kids get out there and play. I, I think it's so great. Um, I'm a dad. I've got girls eight and eleven, and and I just think that that's one of the most important things for Tiger is, let me, let me tell you, uh, you know, I'll jump into something else real quick. Um, I'm a way different person than I was when I started my swing evolution. And part of it is because, uh, you know, when times were dark a few years back, like I talked about my blowout injury and everything. I talked to my brother, who's a wonderful, super successful guy. He's, he's just so cool, man. And he talked to me about the four quadrants and he's like, look, you got to have your family and your loved ones and your friends. Like that has to be very, very solid. That's, that's quadrant number one. Quadrant number two is your career and your business. You got to have a handle on that. You got to have that humming right along and be fulfilled doing that. Then you have to have your health and fitness. When you lose your health and fitness, the whole thing falls apart. It's a pillar. That's one of the four quadrants. You have to have that. And then the fourth thing is you, you have to have the things that you're passionate about and that you love. You can't just forget about them and you can't do them all the time, but you have to have something that, that revs your engine, that gets you excited about being alive and something that can keep you know, moving you forward. And if you can find a balance between those four quadrants, then you can really 
realize the greatest potential of yourself as a human being in this plane of existence. And so at Tiger, when I, I look at periods in his life, he seemed lopsided, you know, where it's all this, like all this, you know, and this other stuff is not in balance. But Nicholas always had it in balance. Like, you know, maybe not always, but, but let's just say he's a great family man. He said he never missed a kid's Little League baseball or football game. You know, he's got the career. That's going. You know, he's, my gosh, I mean, his, his golf, I mean, you know, amazing. He got really fit, you know, in the 70s, and he was no longer fat jack, you know. And then, uh, I don't know if you guys know, he's a, a world-class, world-record angler. Like, did you know he's that big a fisherman? So that's what I heard. And it people always had made the jokes when when Tiger was winning his latest Masters, Barbara had to call Jack because he was out in the boat fishing at like their at their resort house, wherever it may be. Um, I, I did find that astounding. I didn't know it till just I guess it, when Tiger won his last Masters. But um, it, it, the the I guess the vastness of expertise that is Jack Nicholas is constantly growing. Well, I'll tell you, Jack's got two boats in his backyard. I happen to have been there. Oh, my goodness. How oh, crazy wow. is that? That's crazy. That's wild. Let's, let's dive into that for a little bit. I think is it's a really neat aspect of just your journey within all of this. Um, you dove into the Hogan way and really threw yourself into my swing evolution, found and are still finding success in the YouTube side of things, as well as just the teaching, the aspects of the Hogan swing. Um, you were able to play Hogan in the golf channel series. And I know we mentioned it when we first came on, talk to us how that came to be fruition and, and just really, you know, how that experience was to really, you know, portray the, the great Ben Hogan. Okay. So I had wanted to make a documentary about Hogan when, when things started to, you know, I realized there was an audience for it. I'm a filmmaker. I'm a TV producer. That's what I do for a living. I've worked on over a hundred TV series and films. Um, you know, Extreme Makeover Home Edition won an Emmy Award. Uh, I directed a show for the Sundance Channel that won the Peabody Award for Outstanding Nonfiction. So I was going to make my own documentary out of my own pocket and start, you know, piecing together what I could about Mr. Hogan, because there is, I, there hadn't been a special about Hogan in 20 something years. So I set out just doing the best I could filming it mostly by myself, having, you know, I hired a wonderful director of photography that helped me shoot some of my special. And we were tracking down people in Texas that knew Ben Hogan. And um, the, these stories, they never get old. Like the stories that I hear about Ben Hogan, you just can't even imagine. There's, I can't, it's, it's like Bruce Lee. He's like the Bruce Lee of golf, that there's just these legendary stories, you know? And so I'm filming with Marty Leonard, who was the daughter of Marvin Leonard, who founded Colonial Country Club and Shady Oaks Country Club. Marvin Leonard was very wealthy. He owned a, several city blocks in downtown Fort Worth, built the first subway, I think, in the United States or something like that, its own subway for, for his employees mm. to ride to work. They had their own script, their own money that they could use in the Leonard store in Texas. 
So he was a big time guy. And so he wanted to learn to play golf and cause his doctor recommended he get out and walk. And here's little, whatever, 10, 11, 12 year old Ben Hogan who started carrying his golf bag for him. So Ben Hogan, you know, became friends with Marvin Leonard and he would stake Hogan at times when he needed help to try and make it on tour. Like he probably would have never made it without Marvin Leonard's support. So I'm at Leonard Links with his daughter, Marty Leonard, who's telling me all these wonderful stories about Ben Hogan and, uh, you know, what a wonderful man he was and how incredible he, you know, what a great club maker he was and everything else. And the phone rings in a little break in our interview. And I answer the phone and it's, hi, is this Christo Garcia? I'm calling from the Golf Channel. <laughs> I'm like, can I help you? And they said, oh, we want to know if you would consider swinging as Ben Hogan in the special Hogan from NBC Sports and the Golf Channel. And I'm just like, I, I don't know what to say. It, the <laughs> moment is on, is in my documentary, Mr. Hogan. Like That's incredible. I'm literally hanging up. <laughs> wow. Like, director of photography is filming me. I'm like, that was the, the golf channel. They want me to play. Ben Hogan. <laughs> and how incredible to just like the That's stars insane. align and have it on film for your own project. And then it just come to fruition like that. That's incredible. So, so I'm, I'm sitting here and they're, they're like coming to Texas the next week. And they're like, listen, we're going to be there filming. I'm like, I'm here right now. <laughs> you know, because they were wanting to know if they needed to fly me from California or whatever. And so we ended up filming the first section. And then uh, I go to Florida and through a friend of mine, an agent that I'm working with, he gets me in touch with Chi Chi Rodriguez because I want to interview him for Mr. Hogan. And then the agent tells me, he goes, would you be okay with interviewing Chi Chi and Jack Nicholas? And I'm like, yes. And he said, well, they have the anniversary of the Chi-Chi and the Bear Foundation, the 30th anniversary. And if you would film some stuff for them, for their charity, they've agreed to do interviews with you about Ben Hogan. And it's going to be at Jack Nicholas's house down in Jupiter, Florida. Goodness wow. gracious. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> how, how does this happen? I mean, and the funny part about that is, and I think Dante, you and I have talked about this too. Awesome. Jack Nicholas is great, but how cool was it to sit with Chi Chi too? Brother, I, I love Chi Chi. I could call him right here. And when I call him, he'll say, Crystal Garcia, you son of a bitch. Why are you no call? <laughs> <laughs> One of the most underrated and most animated people from, from what I've heard. And it just, um, he's a hidden gem in the game of golf. Oh, I can't even tell you. He's, he's like, Christo, I'm going to live to be 120. <laughs> Straight up like that. And you don't doubt it for a second either when he says it's so funny. it. He's like, my aunt lived to be 115. My other uncle was 118. I'm going to be 120. Wow. You know, and it's so funny. And, and he's kind of a psychic. You know, he's got these premonitions and stuff. And he's, he's such a joy. I asked him, I was like, what, how far do you think Jack would play uh, if he played with the modern equipment? You know, because he was the bomber of those 60s swings, bro. He was mm -hmm. bombing it. 
And Chi-Chi goes, we would have to let him play through. I said, excuse me? He goes, you won't be safe on any green. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> he's like, Jack would hit a 400 yards. Wow. And I think he's probably right. You know? So, but, yeah, what what a great joy he is. I got to go to Gary Player's house. He, I don't know if you saw any of that stuff. It's insane. I, I, I saw some pictures, and, and all I have yeah, to say is, man, that. the um, – the, the, relationships i've seen gary player in the last maybe five to eight years make with a lot of the modern folks within the game is incredible he he continues to i think just feel younger as as his age gets older um and and the way he he's interacts with everyone is incredible he's the greatest gentleman the nicest guy ambassador of golf and talk about the four quadrants He's got them all, the family, the fitness, the business, and the passion. He's, he's just, they're humming on all cylinders. He's a good, good man. You know, I, I can't tell you. It's like he's a spiritual man. He's, he's got it figured out. And um, I, I think he may be the greatest person I've ever met. I mean, he's that incredible. Um, you know, and, and he was, he was gracious enough to welcome me, you know, to his, it was, he was staying at his daughter's house outside of Philadelphia, actually. And, um, I got to go up there and and spend the day with him. He gave me a golf lesson. He said he loved my swing. What a, what a compliment, you know, it's, it, it's truly amazing. And, you know, I have to tell you, you know, like, so there's that alter ego effect thing that we were talking about earlier. There, there's something else that I think is, is really kind of important for my swing evolution. And that's, that's being able to see a vision. Okay. And so in Hogan's book, he says, if you follow these fundamentals, you should be able to shoot in the seventies. Right. And so I'm like, that gave me permission to do it. I was like, Hey, he's saying it's possible. I know I haven't done it in over 20 years, but I, he said it's, it's possible. And all of a sudden something clicked in my head because I could see it. And then my next thing was, you know, I had to be able to, to see breaking par. And so I started this thing called practice like a pro where I, I switched the golf clubs in my bag. I switched to a yellow golf ball. I started driving a different way to the golf course to practice. So it's completely different visual imagery. And I started to work from the hole backwards, chipping, putting, 100-yard wedge shots, Cause I used to spend hours on the range and never chip or putt six weeks. I shoot a 70, two under par all of a sudden that, that changed. And then I started to, you know, the, my point that I'm making is if you can figure out and see a path, then you can, Ben Hogan used to say this. He's like, you can do anything you set your mind to, but what does set your mind to it mean? So then I started to think, you know, wow, the Ben Hogan company's back in business. You know, maybe, maybe I could get sponsored by them. And then, then that happened. And I'm not going to lie to you. This is the kookiest thing in the world, but, you know, I've acted in movies and things like that. And I was like, what if I could play Ben Hogan in a movie? That'd be, that'd be really, really cool, you know? And I just would, would fantasize or, or imagine it. And, and sure enough, the phone call came. You know, and, you know, now, you know, I'm, I just started MSE TV. I want to make the greatest golf network in the world. I want to be the greatest golf filmmaker in history. 
I want to make movies. I want to make TV shows. I want to make competition shows. I want to make everything. And I know how to do it. And it's well, I like think the exciting part is, as we've kind of seen and, and we've we've really dove into this maybe off camera, on camera too. The, the there seems to be right now a weird spot in that golf TV aspect. Golf Channel seems to be contracting a little bit. They moved out of Orlando. They got back, you know, they kind of withdrew everything back to NBC headquarters into Connecticut. Um, it seems like there's not enough or as much spend as far as what they're doing with travel videos and everything. They're kind of contracting and there's this weird, and, and we've seen it. There's a lot more focus of golf on YouTube as opposed to mainstream TV. And I think it's a really interesting time for folks like yourself who really want to dive into the creative side of the golf industry from whether it's film filming movies or filming, like you said, competition shows or anything in between, really, there's an awesome opportunity, I think, right now to to really take advantage of kind of a, a, a really unique opportunity in the market. You guys are doing it, right? I mean, we're, <laughs> all, we're all doing it right here. Yeah. So what I would say is when you go to the PGA show in Orlando, it's overwhelming how much is going on so much. And when you look at golf, golf is several times bigger than any other sport. It's bigger than the movies. Like it's huge. And for a, a sport and a, a way of life that's that's got this much money and 27 million, 30 million people playing it, whatever it is, it's massive. There's not enough premium video there's not enough premium content there's just not so how do all these businesses get eyeballs to their products you know there's there's room there's a lot of running room for for high quality golf media and i think the exciting thing is too as you look out into the future and and what kind of I mean, boom, we had post pandemic. It seemed like every T sheet across the country from every pro we've talked to assistant pro superintendent, they can't keep up with cutting everything because they've got so much play and, and, and on down the line, the, the golf industry is is swamped with with business right now. If you're selling clubs, you're you're making out like a bandit. If you're doing lessons, you're everyone's looking for lessons. I mean, across the board, um, it's at a phenomenal spot that we really haven't seen in a while. And and, and it's um, you know for better or worse because of it was probably the first outlet for a lot of people to get out of their houses. Uh, you know, after yeah. what went on in the world, but. Um, it, it, it does, it presents that really cool opportunity to, if you want to go out and create some, some awesome content and share it with the world, chances are people are going to tune in and, and chances are people, especially like you said, uh, on the premium level, people are actually really lurk searching for that in, in an industry right now. What if like, just, just say, for example, say, say we did a show in the style of the big break. Just wow. say we name it something else like the great putt or well, I don't know, whatever. I'm just making it up. But we get because I'm I made the real world for years. I made oh, wow. all those TV shows. So it's like I know how to cast a show. It's like we get 12 of the best compelling wannabe pro golfers in the world. And I've got many ideas <laughs> to make it way cooler than what they did. You know, and we make a TV show. And what if we just put it on YouTube? Is anybody going to watch that? 
You bet they're going to watch that. You look at guys like... I've been saying it for years. I've been saying it for years. When they took big big break off, they need to bring back a... I couldn't believe it. A big break style show again. I tuned in so much when that was on. Yeah. That was that was almost the reality TV show that the golf industry needed, like a Survivor or like a um, I don't know Fear Factor almost, but it was like the golf's reality show of competition. And w- when they lost that, it, you can't name one. And and I, I hate to kind of be the bearer of bad news to ABC, but holy moly's just not getting it done uh, <laughs> for most for most <laughs> big golf fans. You know, it'll get it done for the recreational. You know guy or gal that wants to maybe tune into some funny golf stuff, but for, for the rest of us, it's not getting it done. Yeah. It's uh, it's funny, you know, that you say that, but I, I thought the big break was the smartest thing that they could have done when they came out with it. I was a little jealous that I wasn't working on it. I've worked for Mark Burnett. I've worked for Matt Kunitz who created fear factor. I know him, you know, it's like, it's, this is what I do. It's like, I I've got over 30 TV shows drawn up that I could produce right now. Like that's, that's literally what I'm looking to go into. And the thing is, is like, you know, if you look at, if you look at the big break, when that went off the air, that was like, I'm like, something's just not right. Because as far as the world of production goes, it's not a very difficult show to make. You can shoot it in a couple of weeks, you know? I mean, I, I just know how to do this stuff. You know, every couple of days you have an elimination, you get down to the finals and, and that's it, you know, have some great production design, great creative games that they're going to be tested ways. They'd be tested. You know, I, I don't know. I, there's, I, there's I, exciting. I, I agree. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I completely agree. I would love to see it. I mean, everything you watch on TV these days is an elimination based show. I mean, you got the Bachelor, Bachelorette. You got all the the singing competitions, all the um, the Voice. You know, you name it. They're out there. America's yeah. Got Talent. It's all spread out, elimination based, which is it can be done. I mean, we see it across the board. That's the only kind of like mainstream TV besides sports that I I see that's on. And it and it's what's great is I'm. It sucks that Big Break kind of like stepped away from that as. That kind of became the norm and of reality TV plus elimination based because I mean it gets it gets everything on a golf standpoint. I mean you have uh, the eliminate elimination base, you have the real world aspect like you were saying, and then it you get kind of more the behind the scenes of what uh, when it comes to professional golf of what you don't see. I mean we see professional golf, we see the Rorys, the JTs, the Rickies, like these top fifty elite players like just killing in the game you don't see what it takes to try and get your foot into the door on the pga tour level it's it's so crazy i mean i'm i know guys um my my golf coach my my you know he's my scoring coach he helps me so much john levitt he played in the u.s open in 2000 that tiger won by 15 he's played in two u.s senior opens he shot 61 from the championship tees at Brookside here last year from, I mean, it's a tough golf course. He shot 61 and I asked him about it and he's like, you know, you, you have no idea. It's like, it's so deep. These guys can, can play like, you know, and they're, they're going, they're birdie in everything. Like 
You know, it's just, it's, it's a level, it's like, it, you know, we play golf and we watch it on TV and it's like, oh, I could have hit that seven iron to that green or whatever. It's, it, it's the equivalent of us watching the NBA finals and saying, oh man, I could make that, that jump shot over LeBron or something. It's like, no, you know, you can't. No, you absolutely couldn't. It, it brings, yeah. it brings the thought process to me too right like when when people always joke around especially when the i guess the quote-unquote losing of the golf course at shinnecock when people talk about tour pros that struggle to keep a ball on a green or whatever they don't realize how tough the the <laughs> golf course is playing and uh, you know you always see it float around during major championship season but like what if they threw a 10 handicap out there just to prove to the world of how tough this golf he they wouldn't finish the round in a day's time, I don't think, at a lot of these major championship venues. Um, it, it just oh it, it, it would be incredible to see the contrast because it, people do, I don't think, I think they lose context of how good these guys are. It's, uh, have you played a major course? I've played, let's see, I've played Torrey Pines. Uh, that's probably the most recent one that I've played uh, that toasted a major major championship venue. Uh, we play the... Um, the stadium course coming up here at PGA West, but obviously that's just that to host the Amex that doesn't host a, a major championship course, but still a PGA venue, not a major chip at championship yeah, I mean, venue. The, though. <laughs> the first, the first thing that I'd say, like I've been to four us open courses and they, they don't let us play from where the, they tee it up for the majors. Like we're playing like the white tees or whatever. <laughs> and they're still hard as, I mean, they're hard you know, and I just look at where they, you know, if you added 60 yards to this hole, I'd be like, oh, my God, you know, it, it would be insane. But but again, they're very, very special players that that make it to the elite level and they inspire me so much. I want to, you know, that's why I want to make shows about golf. I want to be the historian for this period. I, I want to capture the stories from people like Jack Nicklaus and Gary Player now. Not later. Now we got to get it now. Lee Trevino is the next person I want to try and get in touch with. You know, this this is golf history and we lose it every day. I was going to interview Bruce Fleischer. Do you know who that was? Um, so he may be a little before your time, but this is he won 18 times on the Champions Tour and he was a club pro until he turned 50. Jesus. Wow. Well, and the it's just story is amazing. And he just passed away a few months ago. Oh, he knew Ben Hogan. I was going to interview him. He told me his life story. It's one of the most inspiring things you've ever seen. And it's like, boom, Bruce Fleischer passed away. It's like, oh my God. You know, it's, you know, it, we, we owe it to the game. Like golf channel can't do it all. Mm -mm. You know, yeah, it, it, it the takes special on Raymond Floyd. Where's the special on Chi Chi? The really great special. It, it takes independent, um, independent avenues to truly get the rawness. I think too out of a lot of these, um, a lot of these stories, because I, I always feel like when you deal with an NBC or a CBS or you know the main conglomerates, there's a there's a commercialized aspect to that because there has to be. When yeah. you when you deal with an independent venue or an independent you know interviewer or whatnot, um, I, I just feel like you get a lot more uh, rawness out of it. I mean, if you look at a perfect example of just the the video and storytelling, Eric Anderslang and his adventures in golf has been such a hit because it's so raw. It just is you know it is very personable. It's very 
Um, it, it just captures the essence of every place that he goes along the way. And I don't think that could have been done with a, you know, a, almost a commercialized um, backer, I guess you could yeah, well, call he's, it. He's done it right. He's an inspiration to me. It's so funny because when he was getting started, a, a, I was at a party and um, a fellow said, I mean, do you know Eric Anders Lamb? I'm like, no, I don't know who that is. He's like, he talks some people into making a golf show with him. He's a friend of mine. And then I looked him up. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's killing it. But he's so good on camera, you know? And I mean, he's just a, a natural, you know, he knows what he's doing. He's been in the business and everything else. But thank God people are out there doing that. But what I'm saying is there needs to be a, a movement for a real rival golf channel. You know, not just to, it's not like it's a competition. It's like a rising tide lifts all boats. It's for the game. It's for the game, you know? Yeah. I mean, tell me this. Tell me, do you think there's a major champion alive today that doesn't have an amazing life story? I think every single one of them, some way or another, has an incredible story Corey to tell. Haven? Well, and, and, and what, what blows my mind, too, is I think we, we miss it a lot as just whatever sport it is, we miss the one-offs, right? Like how great of a story did, uh, oh, Todd man, Hamilton, I, I, rich beam. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, you know, even, uh, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Chris DeMarco, his story doesn't even get told enough. And like the, the guys like a Chris DeMarco or a rich beam, like what incredible stories they must have to tell of, of just one time major championship winners. We focus so much on the, Oh, he didn't win five. He only won four. And, and, you know, so on down the line, because we've been so blessed in this area with the tiger woods that we don't know how to handle a two time or a one time major if, championship. If you've winner. won two majors, <laughs> how, how bad are you? Like some people talk about, about John Daly and I'm like, you got to remember, he won the British at St. Andrews. Look at the list of the guys that have won at St. Andrews. Like I mean, he's a major championship, a major champion. Man. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you look it. at the level of, I, I think I'll, I'll leave us on this testament. You look at the level of like, if, if you play with someone that has been a one or two time tour winner, right. And they, they wax the floor with, with anybody in the building. And then, oh. You, you talk to those one or two time tour winners and they're like, well, yeah, I qualified for a couple U.S. Opens. But like then you start taking the next leap in the one or two time major championship winner and they wipe the floors with the guys that are just one or two time, you know, tour winners. And it's just I think you're so spot on and I'm, I'm so excited to to cross paths with you because there's. There's guys like you that take the industry to the next level. And I think, you know, obviously looking at my swing evolution, it's, it's the tip of the iceberg of, I think, what you're going to do in the industry. And, and I'm, I'm just, I'm so excited. You've got, you've got me thinking in so many different avenues of, of what great hey guys, ways the golf we're, game we're can be doing covered. this together, just like we are now. I'm telling you, <laughs> Absolutely, I'm going to be like, hey guys, you guys want to do this show with me? I'm telling you, it's going to be the bomb. We'll be there. We're on it. A, a thousand we're percent. On. And it, it's something to guys like us that just follow it so passionately and, and see the potential in the game and the industry overall and the stories to be told and what we do from a, a audio side of things. And we're just starting to get into video is there's so much greatness to be told out there. And, and we want to capture all that too. Well, they, okay. So during the course of my swing evolution, you know, I've got people that like what I'm doing. And if you're going to be public, you're always going to have haters. 
you're also going to have you're, you're also going to have your game when it's like oh everything's great and then you're going to be down in the dumps and you've got to just ride it out right but i made myself a, a promise and this is something i think can help you guys out too i love the game of golf and i love i love the on you know your creed is that what you call it mm-hmm. you know yes. i love this game I do the work. I'm, I give it away. I mean, I've made a thousand videos on my YouTube channel. That's a lot of labor. <laughs> and I try the hardest that I can. And, you know, if you want to hate that, then that's, it's not on me. That's you. Right. That's you. So yeah. I'm, I'm doing what I can. And, um, and you'll find that most people who know how hard it is to do this stuff, they'll, they'll give you the respect and that's what you need. The armchair, you know, whatever's, you know, I had to learn to, to deal with a lot of criticism, but it, it just, you know, you just, it just comes with the territory. So, well, I think you know, especially but I'm, but in, I love it, man, especially in the, in the way you went about it, right? Like it, I've, I've Dante's watched your content. I've consumed your content uh, in a, in a heavy level of just, because of the many lessons you can learn from it. When you emulate someone the way you've done, there's always that extra little bit of criticism because it's not perfectly like this, or it's not perfectly like that, right? Because people hold this certain reverence to an idol or an individual. And um, the way you've been able to, I'm sure you've dealt with the plethora of criticism, like you said, but the way you've been able, at least from our outside perspective, embody not only the golf swing and the the mechanics of a Hogan, but just the overall, you know, morals of, of what, how he respected the game and the reverence that he took. And I see in the way you take it too. Um, that's the grander picture I get out of what you're doing is there's a reverence to it of which the way you treat the game and, and Hogan and everyone you interact with that, um, you know, as someone who's trying to continue to grow the game, it's a, it's a mutual respect of the way you treat the reverence of not only the game, but Hogan as well. You know, I was uh, talking to a friend of mine um, just was a couple days ago about what Ben Hogan said that he said, I have the greatest respect for all golfers. And I, I was talking about that and I was like, you know, I think that he means, you know, it's like what I said, there's a difference between a golfer and someone who plays golf. Mm-hmm. A lot of people who play golf, but they don't embody what golf is. I have the utmost respect for all golfers, you know, and, and when I say golfer, it's someone who gets it, who does the work, who cherishes the tradition of it, wants to give back. And that's what Ben Hogan said is, you know, I want to have given back much more than I've subtracted, you know, from this great game. And he said, I've subtracted a lot. It's given me everything, (laughs) you know, so he wanted to give back more. And the reason why I made the documentary is because of this. Ben Hogan is widely regarded as the, you know, top five players in history. 64 tour wins, nine majors, an arguable 10th, right? With the fifth U.S. Open. I don't know if you know that story. So, um, so there's that. There's him as a competitor. And he missed 30 major championships in his prime. So, so he's one of the greatest golfers to ever swing a club. I think he's the most important golf instructor in history. 
do you guys know a teacher that hasn't read five lessons or looked at his swing and admired it? I think every, and, and it's kind of funny, every teacher that I've bounced around or at least been in contact with the number one picture hanging up on their wall is Hogan. You bet. You bet. I think, I think no one has influenced the actual swing more than Hogan. And I think there was an interview with uh, Bubba Watson about the book. And he said, it's considered the Bible for golfers. And he said, he's known some guys that keep it in the sleeve of their, their bag. And they've read it over hundreds of times. I've got it right here. The thing changed my, my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had it on the ready. And um, it, it's one of those things, right? Like when you. This is, this is the book that changed my life, man. $12. When you this think about it, right? He said you can shoot in the 70s. Yeah, he's the most important <laughs> instructor in history. So then he may be the greatest golf club maker in history. Almost every blade iron is a ripoff of his very first iron he produced in 1953. You know, that is the standard muscle back blade design, you know, so, and he had the number one irons played on tour for several years, several years. So he's certainly one of the most important club makers in history. If he, if he never played on a golf course, if he never wrote this book, he would be in the Hall of Fame as a club maker alone, right? Yeah. And yeah. Then, then you got to realize the fact that it's the greatest comeback in golf, maybe all of sports history, to get crushed in a bus, have your both hips, femur, ankle broken, clavicle. His, his shoulder never went back in, like, I was told that it was permanently dislodged or broken or something. And then the style, is there a golfer that has the style of Ben Hogan? This is a fifth element. He is revered for his iconic style. Nobody talks about the way Jack Nicklaus dressed or anybody, you know, even Arnold Palmer, you know, it's like, it's Hogan, mm. you know, Hogan dressed a certain way that was unmistakable and iconic. Hogan's the man, dude. <laughs> I tell you what, you've got me. There is. I know that. And it's it's like you said too, when you look at just the that you mentioned the fifth element, that style. There there is he checks every box, right? Of of the legendary aspects of the 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 teaching, the club building, the the career in itself, the the style. I mean, he really did have it all. And I think that's why when you look at the grander picture every golfer just gravitates towards it with whether they're, you know, told to go that way or not. It's almost like this kind of central core of the universe that is golf that really gravitates around Hogan in some aspect. Yeah. So I'll leave you with this last thing. Let me pull this off my wall. Ugh. So this is, this is one of my inspirational pieces that, that hangs over here. And he says, with keenness and determination, there's nothing you can't accomplish. And that's, he proved it, you know, he, he proved it every day of his life. You know, it's, so I, I take so much inspiration from Mr. Hogan and 
you know, and I think that um, if there's anything I could help other golfers, because golf is so hard and most golfers can't break 80. I just want people to know you can, you can do it. If you can just get a shot that you can get off the tee, have a consistent shot shape with your irons and, and just don't, don't hit two bad shots in a row. <laughs> you know, you can, you can get a lot better at this game. It'll take you far. Easier said than done for most, but when you really apply the logic to it, yep. just be, just be smart. It really, it really boils down to not making that second mistake and, and that can alleviate a lot of the issues. And we all, it. we all do it, but, but, <laughs> but that's, that's how I measure my game right now is, is did I not make two, you know, bad shots in a row, mm-hmm. you know, well, so. where can people go to find you? Like we said, we, we consume a lot of your YouTube content. Where can people follow along and, and really just get into what is my swing evolution? Well, I've got almost a thousand videos on YouTube under my swing evolution, uh, I'm my swing evolution on Instagram. That's my, probably my second most, I post the second most on there that and Facebook. I have a Facebook group uh, for my swing evolution and, and a fan page there. Uh, that's where I, I pretty much do most of my stuff online. I'm very proud to have launched MSE TV where I have over a hundred videos. Several of them are over an hour long of my premium content, my full length interviews with Jack Nicholas, Gary Player, my Hogan documentary, the Hogan Code, my instructional videos, MSE golf system and my long drive training system and my MSE fitness. That's something that changed my life was getting back into shape and, and all of that. Um, so I'm very proud of MSE TV and that's what I want to continue to grow. And I, it may be just me right now, but I hope that in five years, it's going to be, it's going to be a network. It's going to be a bunch of great golf talent, great golf shows, and I hope it'll continue to grow. I've got some great conversations coming up with some, some important players. One of my partners created another network and, uh, that's, that's what I want to do. That's exciting stuff, man. Just the, the interviews alone with some of the golf's all-time greats is uh, a reason to go, go check it out, guys. Like you said, MSE TV. Um, but then, I mean, the, like you said, the fitness content, the hours and hours and hours of premium teaching content and the fitness stuff. I think it, we, we miss that a lot as a, a greater good as well, that to, in order to make some of these moves and to be a, a you know, true i guess you could call it worker of the ball got to have the fitness to do it you've got to be able to make this turn over and over again and um that, that's one of the massive keys that i think it's lost sometimes so um so i i can tell you right now i'm 52 and i'm in better shape than i was when i was in my mid mid 30s until 50 like i'm you know and it's it's because of you know learning I was a personal trainer and, you know, now I'm a a certified yoga instructor and so much of the things I know now, I didn't know five years ago, you know, so you got to, I think it's important to stay fit. Everybody knows that, but it's not as hard as you may think it is. If you, if you're kind of not sure about what you're doing. So anyway, I, I love fitness. I think that it's important. and, And there's so every other aspect of my life, is better because of my fitness. 
Well, uh, I know this is for sure. We're going to have you on sometime soon again. And, and I, I think we'll love to get into other aspects, the fitness and, and everything else that we didn't get to touch on today. But hang out when you come to California. Let's do Absolutely. it. Let's set it up. That's that'll uh, that that's, we're, we're booking that. That's an absolute, yep. <laughs> uh, absolute lock. So definitely there. Chris, awesome. so appreciate it, man. This has been a blast. Uh, we could have went on for hours and hours, I think, which is, uh, which is really cool, but, uh, thanks for the time. Um, it means a lot that you took time out of your evening to join us. Um, guys go give him a follow, um, and get better at golf. So Christo, appreciate the time. <laughs> great game. You guys rock. This isn't awesome, the last man. time we'll see. You, okay. Appreciate it. <laughs>